Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. I'm very happy to say good morning to Jonathan Feldstein, founder of Genesis 123 Foundation. Good morning and how are you? Hi, Kathy. Hanging in. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thank you. Very good, actually. Just get us so much good. feedback from our conversations. It's incredible. Just because really? I think yes, That's because so nice. I, because I think that you are very, very sincere and very real. Not to say that other guests aren't, but you are willing to be vulnerable, and I think that that takes a lot of courage. And I just wanted to thank you. Today's my last day. Um, Howard oh, Feldman's no. going to be back. No, no, that's <laughs> the main man. What counts is back on Monday. So, uh, yeah, yeah. But it really is. It's really been wonderful speaking to you. Thank you very, very Likewise. much. Okay, what are Likewise. we talking about today? Are we talking about Israel after the war, the day after the war? Well, it, I, I'm, I'm glad that you you brought that up because I don't know if I, if you and I sh- if I shared with you my I'm saying in quotes my peace plan for Gaza, but uh, but there's a lot of talk now about what that will be, and it's very interesting with Israel presenting plans for uh, engaging the clans, the tribal groups, um, which is. A component of a plan that my my friend, who was my friend before he was my daughter-in-law's father, yes. uh, well, he was always my daughter-in-law's father before my daughter-in-law was my daughter-in-law, um, <laughs> came up with for a plan of his own. But it's very interesting that we need to be talking about that, albeit who who knows what when we will be implementing the day after. You know, I suppose it also to it's very important from strategy point to be able to know where you're heading in order to start aligning things with your strategic imperatives right so if um you know talking to the tribal councils and uniting you know the palestinian people under one one tribal council or numerous or whatever the case may be that needs to happen now it can't happen after because otherwise you're going to have a lawless gaza with no leadership, you can't. I agree, but in, but it, we're not sitting in a business meeting with the, with all of the heads of every department where we can decide. Here's our strategy. Now let's go and implement it because there are simply too many variables that are beyond anyone's control and can change momentarily. But yes, you're right. I'll, I'll share with you, and I think he wouldn't mind. My my friend Shlomo, who was my daughter-in-law's father and we were friends he's your machi he's your machi he's your machi yes 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 yeah um but we were friends long before my son and daughter-in-law were even dating much less married now um he, he his concept generally for peace is that we need to empower the tribes here the the clans and give them monetary incentive because they really control the areas and if they're successful then they and the, their their people and the land, the territory in which they uh, in which they control, will be successful and will be and will thrive. And if not, then you cut them off. Now I don't know that the cutting off will work. My plan, which is not mutually exclusive, and I wrote an article about this just before Christmas, is that we can't trust any Arab country, not even our allies, to come in and take control because it's way too easy to pay off people guarding the borders, to smuggle in weapons as has been happening for decades. My plan is that recovery be under the auspices of tens of thousands of Christians from all over the world who will be responsible for the education, the welfare, the reconstruction 
and as I say in my article, giving Gazans a little Jesus. Because if they become Christian, then they'll actually start to love the God of Israel and love the people of Israel. And that's the only way I can see that we're ever going to have really peace. Is there no other way that, um, you know, I spoke to an expert uh, earlier this week. She's a professor at, uh, at one of the universities in Israel. And she was saying that one needs to distinguish that there's a difference between um, Islam and the Hamas interpretation of Islam. They're two different things. Um, is there no way that you know people could retain you know Muslims in in that area? Right. Right. Could retain their religion. I mean, would how how offensive would it be to you? If somebody said to you, you know what, you can. You can have peace, but only if you're not a Jew anymore. Uh, well, I mean, I'm not, how's that going to go down? Saying, I'm not saying that it's a condition of peace. I'm saying that, which is a fair question. Look, a lot of Christians who I work with ask me, well, what about Muslims? Let's interact with Muslims, too. And I said, that's fine. Islam is a monotheistic faith, but they divert from Judaism and Christianity as in Genesis as soon as they start with the narrative that got, that Abraham brought Ishmael to sacrifice him on the mountain. That's well, it's a replacement theology. It's replacement theology. It's the mother of replacement theology, yeah. and it's problematic. Can a good Muslim live in peace? Absolutely. But I think what we've seen, I think the Gaza border residents have seen it profoundly and we see it still today in the polls that have been taken is that still the vast majority of Gazans and I think Palestinian Arabs who are mostly Muslim and the Arab world still celebrate the fanaticism and the inhumanity of Hamas and think that that's perfectly normal and think that we are occupiers and think that we're committing genocide and think that we're an apartheid state. And if you can't get beyond that, then I'm not sure that you can have a peaceful population. Look, even even our, our first peace plan we're coming on, how I don't even know how many years, 45 years peace with Egypt. Yeah. Most Egyptians don't love Israel and the Jewish people. But like all that things, hasn't it's, it's up to the leadership. The lead, you know... Ah, Here's good. The, right, so that's what happened here in South Africa. South Africa, um, in the transition from apartheid to democracy, we were on the brink of civil war, right? We were on the brink of civil war. In 1993, the people in the country who could vote were the white population. And Correct. we all went to the poll. In fact, it's the first time that I voted. And... We voted in what was a, a referendum, and the question was, should apartheid be dismantled? And the majority, it was a landslide, voted yes, right? So after that, we started, the government started looking at ways. The truth is, is that the government started talking to apartheid leaders long before 1993, um, Nelson Mandela. But Nelson Mandela was somebody who stood for peace. He stood for unity. He wanted to unite the South African rainbow nation, acknowledging each each different culture, each different sector, appreciating yeah. and making us all part, just as a rainbow has different colors, they are not the same, but it, together it makes a really beautiful rainbow. He, that's what the rainbow, that's what the vision was, right? And the same thing happened 
so the same thing something similar happened in germany that's what adolf hitler did only he united the german nation under hatred for a scapegoat for the jews correct Right, so right. you've got two different leaders, that, and that's the power of leadership, is that it has the ability to influence where people's hearts lie. And I, and I look at our leadership here today. I mean, South Africa couldn't be amongst worse allies. You know, we've got Iran. I mean, the meeting with Sudan. This is the guy who, yesterday, he's in the country. Um, he is the, he's the leader. It, it, it's... I mean, he served under al-Bashir in, in Sudan. I mean, you're talking about human rights violations. And South Africa doesn't care about that unless it's happening to Gazans. All our money is sitting elsewhere. It, it is so dire. And it all comes down to leadership. So, you know, that is obviously where the focus needs to be with Israel in the day after. Right? Is leadership. Israeli leadership as well as you know, Gazan leadership. Yes, yes. There's a video going around which may actually be from my son's unit of terrorists being uh, from from a, a particular combat unit in Gaza, um, where where terrorists are fighting and then surrendering. And I'm seeing all these people surrendering. And on one side, that's very good, right? That means that there's less combat, and they realize that they've lost on an individual basis. But what happens the day after? All of these terrorists who just lay down their weapons didn't suddenly, and I'm using this this phrase I- intentionally, didn't suddenly have a come to Jesus moment that they're wrong and we're right. They're just waiting for the next opportunity to kill us. So I really think, you know, per- first when I proposed this, I thought, oh, that's clever. I work with Christians. Let's talk about everyone becoming a Christian. But I actually believe that that with 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 a limited with a statistic uh, a, a, a percentage that falls within a statistical margin of error i don't know that we can have peace with muslims we can have peace with arab nations that see that their that is in their interest but islam because of the ability for it to be corrupted by its leaders and we've never seen since anwar sadat yeah we've never seen an arab leader really come to terms and make peace. We've seen Gulf states say, hey, the Palestinians are a ball and chain around our our, our leg and we, we have better interests, so we're going to make peace. But they were never at war with us. Yeah. Look, it's, it's, this is an ongoing conversation, obviously. But it's I think, you know, it's also getting closer to what I believe was the one of the motivators for the October 7th attack, which was the um, the Abraham Accords. I think that normalizing, normalizing relationships with Israel gives Israel legitimacy in the Muslim world that a large part of the Muslim world does not want. Because as okay. long as, as, and, long as Israel is still around, you can't be the replacement. Correct. Correct. And the conventional wisdom was on October 7th, that part of the reason it took place then was because of the growing rapprochement between Israel and the Saudis, although we know that this massacre was planned long in advance. So so I, I, who knows what really happened, but peace to be continued. Absolutely. Jonathan Feldstein, I wish you and your family a Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, thank you for speaking to me over the past month. Your reports just... Uh, 
very, very fascinating, deep, sincere conversations. And well, it's uh, a delay now. I have to find touching. something. I have to find something better to do at six thirty in the morning. Oh, no, don't worry. We're putting we're putting you onto Howard. Oh, okay, very <laughs> no good. Question. Thank you. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. God bless. Bye bye. That's Jonathan Feldstein. He's the founder of the Genesis One Two Three Foundation.